0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the e Fooler Explosive Podcast. Today, I have my good friend, and for a third time by himself, and I think a fourth or fifth time, uh, technically on the podcast, economist Anthony Davies. Me and Anthony talk a lot about the Ukraine and Russia conflict. Um, we talk about economics, how it's going to affect those countries, affect our country. Uh, we talk about gas prices. We talk about uh, everything economically that you would like to know about when it comes to uh, countries at war, right? So we have an invasion going on from Russia into Ukraine, a lot of conflict there. I was curious of how that's gonna affect us here at home considering we do a lot with Russia when it comes to oil and other economics as well as the rest of the world. So this one is a doozy. My boy Anthony comes through again like he always does, dropping some dimes about economics and how it's gonna affect your pockets. Hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and make sure you click that bell notification so you get notified every single time my face comes on the screen or in your ears, however you're listening or watching. And enjoy this episode with economist Anthony Davies on the E4 Explosive Podcast. We'll see you next time, peace out. This episode of the E4 Explosive Podcast is brought to you by Bravo Concealment. Bravo Concealment is known for some of the best high quality and concealable holsters on the market. Located in the great state of Texas, They offer free shipping and unlimited lifetime warranty on all of their products. And a 30 day money back guarantee if you don't like the product. I've been using Bravo concealment for my gun holsters ever since I got into guns. And the quality is by far, bar none, the top notch in the entire industry that I've seen. And right now they're doing a buy one get one free plus free shipping, the 30 day money back guarantee and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product, of any purchase on their website by using Explicit10. Use the code EXPLICIT10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from BravoConcealment.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the E4 Explicit Podcast. I'm Corey, and today we have for now, I think, the third time by yourself, second time that you, you've done two with... James Harrigan. So really, this is your fifth time on. Um, thank I'm you much
1: more interesting without James.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. No. Well, I'm not gonna I'll let you make fun of James. I'm not gonna go there. Um, but Anthony Davies, economist, thank you again for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Corey.
0: Absolutely. If you can just give uh, everybody a quips a quick synopsis of your background and, and stuff like that, that would be great.
1: I'm Anthony Davies, Associate Professor of Economics at Duquesne University and the Milton Friedman Distinguished Fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education. That's lots of words to refer. I was going to say, that's, a, that's a mouthful. I'm co-host of the podcast Words and Numbers.
0: With <laughs> James Harrigan.
1: <laughs> with James Harrigan, yes.
0: Oh, so all uh, of you watching and listening. If you want to go back and watch or listen to any of the episodes that me and Anthony, has, or me and Anthony have done, or me, him, and James have done. Uh, they're fantastic. Um, talk a lot about uh, politics, and economics, and just kind of like policy a lot. Um, they're both insane with that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm just an idiot, just asking questions. So, um, once again, thank you, Anthony, for coming on. And today, I really want to focus uh, what's going our our conversation with what's going on, uh, you know, in the world, mainly with Ukraine and and Russia and other possible conflicts. I know you're not going to have a lot of data on a lot of those things, um, but I would love to hear your opinion on some of those things. But um, a lot of the questions I have geared towards today's conversation are going to be kind of, if they are economic related, they're going to be kind of home based. What's happening in the United States? Um, there's a couple of questions that I got from people that they ask me to ask you, which is great, which I haven't done yet before, because I typically just kind of Go on with the conversation, and what ha- what happens happens. But I asked a couple people to ask me some questions. Um, but first off, give me your thoughts on what is happening right now in Russia and in Ukraine and stuff like that. Just you, whether it's personal or data driven, I don't know. What are your thoughts on what's happening sure. right now?
1: Yeah, I I don't have much of interest to say about the political side of it. Um, you know, my guess is as good as anybody else's there, but. I think there's something fascinating going on that people aren't talking enough about and that is this thought comes from the fact that people have asked me before do I think that this is, you know, the prelude to World War III?" and you have you know, so many parallels with you know this this. dictator invading other countries for no apparent reason um. But I think the parallels stop there. There is a huge difference between what's going on right now and what precipitated World Wars One and Two, mm-hmm. and that huge difference is the response of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. We haven't responded. We, the rest of the world, have not responded militarily. We've responded economically. We've imposed some sanctions, and by sanctions, we, we've. In a lot of ways, done unprecedented sanctions. Of not only um, are we not buying exports from from Russia or or selling to them, but all the other major countries have joined in, and uh, we've we've effectively frozen them uh, financially from the rest of the world. So they've been isolated both both in terms of goods and services and in terms of finances. That's that's unprecedented, and, and by that, what I mean is, for the rest of the world, for the world at large, to take such steps non-militarily is astounding. It's as if the human race has finally learned. Look, there's a better way to deal with rogues like Putin. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it painful for us? Sure, it is. You know, we're paying through the nose for gasoline, and this is particularly hard on on the poor. But in total, the cost to us of waging this this economic response is going to be a fraction of a fraction of a percent of what the cost would have been to wage a military response.
0: Man, that's fucking great. <laughs> that's such a good perspective because <clears throat> I just talked to Don Mann, who's a former Navy SEAL, and his mm-hmm. his side of things. And he's very he's a military guy, he's SEAL Team Six. So his perspective was completely different. His was we need to react and we need to do something about it and just basically remove Putin. Um, that that scared me me and him had a great conversation about that because China, Iran, Russia, there's just certain countries that if you go to war with them, it's bad for everybody, not just our country yep. and theirs, right? So yep. the fact that you're looking at it as an economic uh, way of thinking, obviously you're an economist, but I, I, I like that. And I haven't thought about that yet. I know the sanctions are there but I don't know the details of them. So maybe you can kind of unpack a little bit of those uh, and kind of like talk about the unprecedented ones that you're talking, they're speaking of.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so there's a couple of things that, that are, that I would put under the category of, of unprecedented. Okay. Uh, one is that you have pretty much all the countries of the world, or all the, the major countries with perhaps the exception of China, um, coming together and saying, yeah, we're, we're going to impose economic sanctions. So we're not going to buy, we're not going to sell uh, from Russia. And that's, of course, painful on our part because Russia has things that we need. Five uh, percent of the world's oil consumption comes from Russia exporting oil. God. So you know, right there, there's, there's a big hit. They are um, major exporters of other things, grain and metals and, and woods. These sorts of things. So it hurts on our end, but also hurts on their end because they can't buy things that they need that um, imposes hardship on them. Um, also, uh, it makes it harder for them to get hold of things that they need to run their war machine. So that's that's one thing, this, the, the coming together of so many countries uh, in, in these economic sanctions. The other thing is the style of sanction. It's not just Goods and services, its financial markets. So the Russians have had their their uh, foreign uh, banks, uh, foreign accounts frozen. Um, there's there's no movement of money back and forth through Russia, which now makes it, in effect, isolates the ruble. This is why you're seeing the ruble decline so far in value, because prior to this, if I had rubles, I could exchange them for dollars or for yen or for euros or what have you and so the euros were valuable to me not just in that I could buy something in Russia in the rubles but I could also convert to these other currencies well now that's been shut off so now a huge a huge chunk of the value that 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 exists in holding rubles is gone and so you see the rub- the value of the ruble decline it's all that and this of course imposes more more uh, problems and and so you know not to shouldn't rejoice in other people's problems. I was having a conversation with somebody about this today and they were saying, well, look, this is imposing hardship on innocent Russians. It's imposing hardship on us and all of that. And all of that is correct. But the right question here is not what course of action would impose no hardship because the hardship isn't coming from our responses. It's coming from the invasion of Ukraine. The right question in front of us is what imposes the least harm and the by far, there's less harm imposed for, with the ac- economic sanctions than there is with uh, military response.
0: Right. Yeah, no, I, that's, <clears throat> I just wrote something down, kind of like death over dollars. Like when someone complains about, I hear it all the time. Oh, well, the gas prices are high. This is high. That's high. But gal- a, a buddy of mine last night bought a, ga- a gallon of milk. It was like six bucks, um, which is insane. Um, but it's also like, I'd rather do that than send 18 to 30 year old people over to another country that is in wage war. We literally just got out of one, <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that it's a smarter route. My question to you is, I don't know if you would know this or not, but with, with those sanctions and stuff like that, that we've done, are those kind of like acts of war or would that eventually kind of force someone like Russia and Putin, because you back them into a corner financially he's very wealthy himself but if you start taking away all those things that are going in and out of russia like you said he's not going to be able to feed that war machine and and kind of get back the soviet union because it seems to be what he wants to do as an end goal would that maybe possibly also go into a world war where we have to defend ourselves because we're financially crippling them
1: well i don't know you a lot of the a lot of that answer um comes from what will putin's response be but i think his responses get his response gets muted in a way here if if for example we imposed only sanctions that involve goods and services that's going to hurt principally of course it hurts the war machine but it hurts um also the the russian people they find it they find it difficult to get the things they need to survive imposing the financial sanctions, on the other hand, and that will hurt the working class people. But importantly, it's going to seriously hurt the oligarchs, Mm -hmm. the people that Putin has surrounded himself with, the rich people who, who may not wield official authority like he does, but do wield power. Right. And so, you know, imagine, imagine in the United States, if something happened that that caused uh, simultaneously jeff bezos warren buffett bill gates and name others right. uh, to lose 90 percent of their wealth imagine what kind of pressure they'd be putting on the government right now to stop whatever that is that's that's, that's true and so too with him
0: that's a true that's a good point point. and I, I've, I've seen a lot of reports actually coming out of like people around him are even like look like we got to stop this or like what's your end goal here because it's it's unclear to me what his end goal is. Anyways, like is it is it to gather the Soviet Union back together? Do you want to be like a Lenin or a Stalin and be remembered for something like that? Like, what is your end goal here? Um, I I just yeah. don't know.
1: Yeah, this this is more a question for my colleague James Harrigan than I. But I I can I can hypothesize at least something, <clears throat> and that is that Ukraine was um, was looking to become a member of NATO. Mm-hmm. And if that if you can if Ukraine had becomes, had been successful in becoming a member of NATO, you've got a large a large country right on your back doorstep. Uh, they share a border with with Russia. Right. It's now uh, NATO. And if you want to th- imagine what that looks like, go back in the United States to the day of days of the Cuban Missile Crisis when it was exactly this scenario only played out in reverse Hmm. that the Russians established a satellite uh, country 90 miles off the coast of Florida. And what did we do? We imposed, you know, sanctions and tried to to, to push the Russians out of uh, Cuba. It came very close to actually being the start of world war three, thank God, uh, cooler heads prevailed. But in, in some sense, I'm not saying I agree with Putin, but I can see some motivation there that's analogous to the motivation in this country uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis.
0: Right, yeah, that, That's it reminded me of that as well. I, I obviously don't remember that. I wasn't around, but um, hearing hearing the other generations talk about it uh, and, and knowing about it, is, is, it seems very similar. And honestly, thank God Ukraine wasn't in NATO because if they were and Russia invaded, we would 100% be in World War III right now because we would all yes. have to defend them.
1: Yeah that's correct now I think there's a <clears throat> I think there's a causality issue here which mm. is if they had been in NATO I think Putin would have been far less likely to invade
0: True okay knowing
1: what our response would have been so in a lot of ways in a lot of ways he's facing a, he was facing a game of look, just allow them to become a member of NATO, in which case I can't invade them or invade them now before they become a member of NATO and hopefully prevent that from happening.
0: Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, so the, I know we froze a lot of the money. A The UK is freezing all their money. It's How much of the world is relying on Russia and how much is Russia relying on the world? Because I do see gas prices going up here. I know we get a lot of the crude oil from there. I think I just saw today it's like $140 a gallon right now um, a barrel, yeah, yeah. Oh, barrel sorry yeah um w- what like are, are they self-reliant i know germany relies on russia like 70 percent um so can do you know a little bit about that or
1: yeah i <clears throat> let's see i i know a little bit russia's economy we think of russia as this big country right um its economy is roughly the size of california's what so yeah i mean it's not insignificant by any means but it's not you know anywhere on the scale of the U S economy. Wow. Um, and it's, you know, it's a major exporter of of oil, as we discussed other things, grain, wood, Mm -hmm. these sorts of things. And whenever you have a situation like this, so Russia is now no longer exporting oil and that's going to cause an increase in the price of oil. I don't think that's the major, um, factor driving up the price of oil. I, okay. I think it has an effect. It's not the major <clears throat> factor. I think there are two, two major factors, or well, let me go with one. There's one major factor, which is uh, markets Markets react to what they think the future holds. Mm. So anytime, anytime you have a situation of uncertainty, particularly when it involves military incursion and much more so when it involves major world powers, there's a lot of uncertainty. And in exchange for this uncertainty, what happens is prices start to go up. People will, you know, people will start to invest in oil futures because they believe the price of oil will go up in the future, and their belief that the price of oil will go up in the future causes the price of oil to go up now because wow. they're buying up these things. So it becomes kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. So in in some ways, it's it's simply reflecting the the, the people's attitudes at the moment. Um, I think also. This was coming, maybe this was my second point, this was coming anyway, may, uh, this being the rise in the price of gas, though, though maybe not to the extent we're seeing now. Right. It was coming because of the inflation that we've been experiencing here in the US. At the price, we would expect the price of gas to go up along with the prices of other things. But let me put this in perspective. Price of gas as of today averages $4.07 in the United States. That's a gallon of regular on average. And I think, I think that's the highest it's ever been unless you adjust for inflation. Hmm. If you adjust for inflation, the price of gas in July of 2008 was over 5.15 a gallon. In um, 2012, it was up around $4.80 a gallon, adjusted for inflation. So yeah, the price of gas is particularly high right now, painfully high in a lot of people's cases, but it's not unprecedented. You know, we've been here before. Actually, it's been worse than this before. Right. It'll come back down. Yep. I remember back in 2008, people said, someone said to me the same thing you just said, Corey, about, oh my God, the price of, of oil is $142 a barrel. And the, the, the thought is it'll never come back down again. Hmm. Well, it does, it dropped back down. Below a hundred dollars and stayed there for a decade before right. we ended up back where we are.
0: Right. God, two things from that. One, remember when I remember
1: back in the day when
0: it was under a dollar, and it was just like right. do you think we'll ever get to that again?
1: Under a dollar, I doubt <clears throat> I doubt that. Um more so because of of, of overall inflation. Mm-hmm. So even when it was under a dollar. Back in the day, when I was in graduate school, it was like ninety nine cents. Yep. But if you adjust for inflation, that's more like three dollars today, maybe.
0: Wow. That's so crazy. Yeah, that's so fast. I, I just remember like growing up, it's like a dollar fifteen or dollar ten, ninety nine cents. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's it's one of the things we get all bent out of shape in this country about you know fossil fuels and why is it that Americans won't drive electric cars mm-hmm. and. Part of the reason we won't drive electric cars is because gas is so darn cheap. Right. And, you know, even at a couple bucks a gallon, even go to $3, $4 a gallon, it's still cheaper as a fraction of the average American's income than gas was in the 1950s. Wow.
0: I, I, with inflation and everything that's... Yeah with, yeah, with
1: inflation and and adjusting for the fact that we're earning more than we more. were in the 1950s, so it it's less... Um, it's less costly to me. Right. I, let's say it this way I have to work fewer hours to afford a gallon of gas today than my grandparents did in 1950. And that doesn't even account for the fact that my car today gets twice the gas mileage that they got in 1950. That's very so, true. And this is why you're seeing Americans not move away from fossil fuels. It's just so cheap.
0: Right. Wow. That's, that's, I love that perspective. Um, Since we're on gasoline, I'll stick to these couple of questions and I'll go back to China and Taiwan. I have a couple of questions about that. Um, So a couple of questions that I got from people. uh, One, I hear this all the freaking time. And I know you guys, you and James have told me this before, because there's certain things that the president just literally has absolutely nothing to do with. Like people blame the president for this, blame him for that. Does the president have anything to do with what you're paying at the pump?
1: No, not really. <laughs> not really. You know, people love to, to, to lay blame or to congratulate the president when, you know, the stock market goes up and gas prices go down. The president doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, first off, the, the only, apart from doing something extreme, like, you know, starting a war in the Middle East, right? the president isn't gonna have any effect here. Uh, the most effect you're going to see from Washington uh, is going to come in two pieces. One is the federal gas tax, which is pretty low. It's 18 cents a gallon. Uh, state gas taxes generally are much higher than that. In Pennsylvania, we're like almost 60 cents a gallon state tax. Damn. So the federal gas tax, that's one thing that's going to come from Washington. The other thing that's going to come from Washington is uh, that will affect the price of gas are, um, are environmental regulations. Hmm. So re- you know regulations that require, you know, that you use ethanol, or the gas be cleaner, or you do something to your cars, this sort of thing, uh, that's going to affect prices. And that's in part why you see the price of gas so high in California versus the rest of the country. California has more stringent environmental Hmm. regulations than the rest of us do.
0: Interesting. So the more stringent those regulations, the higher the the gas prices will be versus some rural um, states that that might not be the case.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I want to, about that, I want to say something good and something bad. On the one hand, um, environmental regulations that prevent uh, people from imposing harm on others. So, you know, if I've got a a car that belches, you know, lead-laced fumes, I'm imposing harm on other people. And a regulation that prohibits uh, lead-based gas is actually a good thing there. So that's a good that's a good type of regulation, preventing people from imposing harm on others. Mm-hmm. But then you get other other regulations like the ethanol requirements that uh, gas has to contain at least whatever it is, ten percent ethanol or something right and and the argument is or the original argument was that, well, this is better for the environment because ethanol is a renewable resource and oil isn't. yeah, except there's been a lot of studies done on this since then, and it turns out that, ethanol is actually worse for the environment, hmm. not not in in so much as it's ethanol, but that it requires more energy to produce it than what it's worth. So actually in terms of using, and and what kind of energy do you use to produce ethanol from corn? You use fossil fuels. So we're actually using more fossil fuels to produce the ethanol than what we'd be consuming if we just got rid of the ethanol and put the fossil fuels directly into our gas tanks. Right. So that, that's that's one thing. And, and the ethanol requirements persist they came into effect when i was good lord like in high school so they've been around for like 30 years or plus the reason they persist is because they become a cash cow for um for farmers farmers who grow corn right because all of a sudden there's this there's this guaranteed market for your corn now because of the ethanol, because it's required in the gas tanks, right. and the farmers that are going to support the politicians who are in favor of ethanol, so all of a sudden now the politicians can make some hay with ethanol, and this is an example of a bad regulation, it's a regulation that's imposing costs not because it's preventing people from imposing harm on each other, but just because somebody's making some economic profit out of this. Right.
0: Right. Okay. That's a good way to put it. The the. <clears throat> so why don't we just go nuclear? I know we had a couple spills
1: yeah.
0: throughout the world, but is it nuclear more, isn't it more efficient? Isn't it cleaner? It's just a scary thing, right?
1: Yeah. That, my understanding, and again, this is my understanding. So take it for what it's worth is that, is that nuclear is, yeah, it's not, it's not, um, riskless but that's the wrong question there mm. is no riskless energy source the sure. right question is how risky is it compared to alternatives and people say well you know you, you have a meltdown and something like happened in fukushima uh, yeah that could happen uh, from time to time evidence suggests it happens very infrequently in fact evidence suggests it happens far less frequently than um oil tankers spilling their loads and and polluting the environment And so now you've got this trade-off here. So I I think, particularly since Americans have been out of the nuclear business for 30 some years, maybe more. And while we've been out of the nuclear business, the rest of the world has figured out how to do it much more safely than it was done in the past. And I think a lot of the problems that we have um, today with fossil fuels are a direct result of environmentalists. Hmm. That is. The environmentalists of 30, 40 years ago put a stop to nuclear. And in putting a stop to nuclear in this country, it forced us down the path of fossil fuel. And now we have greenhouse problems. And the environmentalists saying, well, we need to care more about the environment. Why are we emitting all this greenhouse gas, to which I say, hang on, it's because of you, the environmentalist.
0: (laughs) That's so true. I have noticed. It's, It's funny you put it that way of like, we stop with nuclear, but the rest of the world just Figured a, a much safer way to do it, yeah. Um, and I think it was it. It's going to take us a long time if we ever get to that. I don't even know if we ever would. But I see a lot of other countries using nuclear, and it's it's they're doing very well with it. So,
1: yeah, I think France, for example, generates seventy percent of its power by nuclear. That's crazy. Um, what interests me is um, and, and you keep seeing news about this, um advances in fusion right and fusion is doesn't produce the first off it produces more power than nuclear fission um but it doesn't it does not produce the radioactive waste that nuclear fission produces wow so when fusion finally becomes commercially viable i think that's going to replace everything really yeah
0: what is it what does that world
1: look like that world looks like you know zero Um, gas emissions, um, everything running on on electric. It's also, interestingly, going to um, dramatically alter places like uh, uh, the Sahara, places like the Los Angeles area, places like the Middle East, where water is particularly scarce. With fusion power, you can desalinate at very low cost, and you'll have all the fresh water you want
0: damn what why are we doing that right now
1: well it, it's a technological thing at the okay. moment the science just is isn't, isn't that advanced now i say isn't that advanced it's getting to the point now where it's scientists are able to sustain fusion reactions in the laboratory which is the first step to you know they can make it work yeah. now can you make it work at a commercially viable yes price? scaling that two, yeah right? yes yeah,
0: yeah. yeah that's gonna be all right well hopefully in our lifetime
1: Hopefully, although interestingly, there will be a, um, possibly a new environmental question arise, and that is, what do we do about the trees? Because if you're going to be producing all of this power, like we're describing, Mm -hmm. it's got to be transmitted over power lines, which means all of a sudden, we're going to have to be cutting down lots of trees to run these power lines that, you that we currently don't have, unless you're going to do something like put a fusion reactor in every neighborhood. And I don't know, because again, once the technology emerges, the technology may actually emerge down that path. But I I don't know. We'll wait and see.
0: I have a bunch of holsters from Bravo, and one of them is the inside the waistband holster. So this goes inside the waistband if you want to conceal carry. Also, swap it out here outside the waistband. So this outside of the waistband is actually like hella thin and you can see kind of like how how close to the body it can get. You could take this on the range. Um, y- you can probably conceal this and comfortably do it with you know a hoodie over top or whatever. If you want to open carry, um, it's up to you. They also send out mag pouches, right? So you can throw in an extra mag. You're going to the range. You don't have to unload and reload every single time. You got a little... Uh, hollow point moment. They come in handy if you're on the range, like I said, or if you can still carry, and you're one of those people that are gotta have a lot of mags or whatever. Um, you know, whatever, whatever your cup of tea is. They also send you these really cool pamphlets. They go into great details in these brochures of how to wear things properly, safety mechanisms, and all the features that all of these holsters have as well. So they really focus on educating their customers, which, when it comes to guns, safety and education are Number one, they don't have any left-handed holsters except for the Glock 19. I'm a lefty, but the right-handed holsters are so dope and they're so comfortable and concealable that I don't really give a shit. Just learn how to shoot with my right hand. And right now they're doing a buy one, get one free, plus free shipping, the 30-day money back guarantee, and a lifetime warranty. On top of that, you, my friends, will get 10% off of any product, of any purchase, On their website by using explicit10. Use the code explicit10 and you'll get 10% off your entire purchase from bravoconcealment.com. I wonder if, because I know there's a lot like out here in Colorado, a lot of the power lines are actually under the ground to preserve the views. I wonder if that would be a possibility.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. hit up Elon Musk
0: or something. Who Um, knows?
1: But again, it's an interesting (laughs) thing. All kinds of things become possible that aren't possible now when energy becomes basically free right which is what it's going to be with fusion
0: right that's a, that would be nice if energy was free lot of uh, no more bills no more electric bills will we, will we still have to pay bills
1: well yeah i think what it'll look like it, it'll look a lot like uh what happened with our cell phones and texting when texting first evolved you know you had to pay per text yep Oh, my God, to send the thing. And now you don't it's you buy a phone, you have a, a monthly subscription to your phone, you can send as many texts as you want. Mm. I think that's what it's going to be, you'll get a monthly subscription to your power company, and just use as much power as you want.
0: That's incredible. Well, hopefully that happens soon. Because that, that that would be a fun world to live in. Um, okay, so back to the president issue, not issue, but kind of thing. Um, one is, what would you tell someone? That keeps blaming the president for gas prices. You kind of touched on a little bit, but is there something like an analogy or some dumbing down version of something like that you can compare, like why they shouldn't be blaming the president for these things? Because the administration's kind of like, and we, me, you, and James have talked about this. Like every almost every four years, one is in, one out, one in, and it's like new policy, and they're trying to like remove what other people have done. And it's I always hear people like Trump supporters, oh, gas prices were never you know this high, and you know you go back to Obama, like you said in two thousand eight, and and Bush too, they were rising because of the war. So there's a lot of things that go into that, um, but I just. I'm like, it, I just want to tell like, what can I tell someone when next time I hear someone say this, what can I tell them in a sense or two, to just be like, make them think differently, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: I, I, I would try this prices, prices are determined by demand and supply. People, people who, are, who want the thing and people who are able to produce the thing. Right. The government's involvement pretty much stays constricted to setting the rules of the exchange, hmm. um, and to the extent those rules are are clear and 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 minimal, the exchanges happen easily. To the extent that the rules are cumbersome, uh, complex, it makes it harder for the exchanges to occur. Right, and and the prices are reflecting mostly what those rules. Let's see. to the extent that the prices reflect what's going on in the government, it's reflecting the rules the government has set down and okay. those rules don't come from the President. Um, they come from Congress, well, and Congress will pass laws will get signed by the President, but it happens over a long period of time, so much so that if you if it is indeed, if there is indeed anything going on in the economy that is to be blamed on a President more often than not, is to be blamed on the president who came before, because Oof. it takes years for the policies to take effect and to, for that to play out in the marketplace and you to get the changes in the price. I would say I would say if I were to point to one thing today that can be one thing that's going on in markets that can be immediately attributable to the sitting uh, president and the sitting Congress, it's inflation. Hmm. And that is um, every time Congress passes and the president signs a budget deficit that comes back to us anymore dressed up as uh, printed money to pay for that deficit and that printed money gives us inflation. So when you see the price of groceries going up to an extent, when you see the price of gas going up, other sorts of things, you can blame the president of Congress and it isn't simply Biden, it's Biden plus Trump plus Obama plus in right. Dot,
0: dot, dot, Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. You said something earlier, like the, 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 which I never thought of, like when the gas prices and stuff go or any price goes up, like these are kind of like predictions of like the market reflecting on what they think is going to happen. Right. So that's a good insight because I think a lot of people are so stuck in like, Oh, this is happening right now versus like, well, no, this is the market reacting to a potential maybe world war that they're anticipating so they're going to jack up everything and eventually it will go down but i like i like yep. that that way of thinking of it's more of a prediction that it is like a sure thing
1: yes yes if that makes absolutely. sense okay and and it reflects not just the prediction but also the uncertainty to okay the extent, we it could be the case that half the people think there's going to be a world war and half the people think it's going to be Peace and strawberries. Right. The mere fact of the disagreement, the uncertainty, is going to cause the price to go up.
0: That's a great point. Um, okay, so let me ask you: is uh, is war good or bad for business? I know a lot of military companies and contractors, and and, and they make war is extremely profitable um, for a lot of companies. Is it good or bad for business?
1: It's like war is a lot like ethanol in that way. Okay, it's good for some, but it's bad for people in general right so you know it's good for the raytheons it's good for boeing it's good for you know the the companies that provide uh supplies to the military right it's bad for the rest of us and the extent to which it's bad for the rest of us exceeds the extent to which it's good for those for whom it is good right so in total it's bad for us in the aggregate
0: right no i totally agree with that um also i haven't going through wars now it's just been like jesus man like can't we just like fight our own fights and just leave people alone at this point because i mean it's it's done so much to us i mean generate our this generation has seen so much i mean 18 you're sending kids over there in 2000 you know what i mean it's just uh
1: yeah but but there's an interesting thing your your word choice is interesting this generation has seen so much i agree with you it has seen so much not because there was so much to see but because our ability to see was much higher Um, we have you know everybody's got the cell phone so they can record what's going on it goes out to to everybody else but if you look at the numbers the number of people who are killed in wars not just the military but civilians also number of human beings who are killed in wars is down 95 percent of course from several generations ago this is this is despite what you're seeing in Ukraine you see elsewhere you know it's not perfect but in a lot of ways, this is the most peaceful humans have ever been yep. since the dawn of time.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I, I, I actually tell people all the time when I hear them say, oh, this is the worst time to be alive. I'm like, actually, this is like the most safest. This is the, probably the best time to be alive, actually. Because if imagine if our, our grandparents in World War II had cell phones. I mean, yeah. Jesus. Like, th- that's where you're, you're, you're exactly right. Like, the, the casualties and stuff like that. Um, yeah that's actually a good point so damn completely just took my no, this uh this is
1: this is the, but this is the thing that i think um people today need to be very careful about okay we have we have this tendency to see stuff on social media and think that it's think that what we're seeing is a correct representation of the world right What you're seeing at best is a correct representation of a particular thing that's happening. Right. It's not, you're not seeing everything else. i give you a good example. A friend of mine says, um, you know, you never see on the news 186,000 planes landed in the U.S. today without any loss of life. Right? (laughs) And yet and yet if we reported in a completely unbiased way you would hear that report night after night on the evening news and once in a while you'd hear oh one person died right but instead what happens is when the one person dies that's what gets repeated and you hear it on and on the talking heads talk about it and what are we going to do about people dying from airplane crashes when airplane crashes are so incredibly rare Uh, but you don't know that because we only report the deaths we don't report the non-deaths
0: right that's so funny you brought that up because i have a tremendous fear of flying um and it's i I travel all the time so it sucks um i'm having to drink like a glass of whiskey before i get on the plane and sometimes it's funny because it'll be like five o'clock in the morning and i'm asking for a whiskey and these people around (laughs) me are like (laughs) you got a problem like no i have an anxiety problem um for me it's a control thing i think it's like i drive everywhere so i know like i'm i'm good even though i know the statistics are i could get killed in a car accident a million times more than I would die in a plane crash. But it's funny because I, that's what I hate. And I think that's, that's what happens. That's why I've, I've generated this anxiety with flying is because all you, when you do hear about those things, that's all you hear. I didn't know that a hundred and whatever, a hundred thousand planes land every day, like that would make me feel good
1: and and safe to
0: fly, but that doesn't sell.
1: Yeah. right, Right. It doesn't sell.
0: Right. You made a good point last time I talked to you about like um, you told people to not listen and watch, you know, obviously don't believe everything you see on social media because those algorithms are putting stuff in front of you that, you know, is, is, is not always accurate or happening. I know there just recently, uh, Valensky, the, um, the president of Ukraine, there was a huge article going around cause he had like a vest on and like all the stuff. And it was this photo of him, like kind of like on the front lines, and people were promoting it like, oh, he's on the, he's on the, you know, they were shitting on Biden. They were like, oh, yeah, this guy is front lines. Blah, blah. This photo was from like last year. Mm-hmm. It wasn't current, right. but no one was reading the article. They were just commenting and sharing. So it went viral, which is, it's a good thing. Like he's definitely, kudos to him. He's a fantastic president. He's doing what he can. But it was just funny because I'm like, damn, like if you actually read the article, it literally says this photo is from last year. So it's just they're using it as almost clickbait to make you th- think something, and that's what scares me the most about this particular conflict, because I don't know what's really happening. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's false. I mean, I'm hearing reports of, uh, you know, Russia saying, "Oh, we're not doing anything with civilians," and then I see a woman get ran over in her car by a tank, and I'm like, "Am I seeing this because the algorithm? Is this an old? Is this even true? Is this real?" So. Right. What are your thoughts on social media uh, you know when it comes to this kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I I think there's a lot there's a lot less lying on social media um, you know the, the the photoshopping of right uh, right pictures or adjusting the video or whatever it is. I think not to say there isn't any, but I think there's a lot less of that and that doesn't bother me. Okay. What bothers me that there's a lot of is is people showing things that are true. But they're only part of the truth, uh, and and so you see this thing and you say, well, I should believe that because it's true. Yes, you should believe it; it is true. But people go a step further and they don't believe the things they aren't seeing. But the things they aren't seeing are also true. Right? Like, all right, this woman got run over by the tank, but here's three million women who didn't. Right? We don't see that; we just see the one, and and right. so we fixate. We we walk away with. It has the same effect as lying. Without lying. Right. Maybe you call it a lie by omission rather right. than a lie by commission.
0: Right. No, I love that. I've, I've seen <clears throat> examples of that in the media where they show a photo of one angle and let's say it's like a cop right. looking like he's like hitting this person. And then you move the angle and he's actually like assisting them and helping them. Right. But that's right. the angle that the news decided to use right. because it fit their uh what they wanted to push.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: that's a good way to put it. It doesn't, it doesn't it's it's truthful, it may be truthful, but it's not the full truth, you know. Cause and then I see reports of you know Russians not wanting to fight, the soldiers on the ground are going into Ukrainian homes asking for food and the Ukrainians are helping them. And it's just like I'm seeing reports of them damaging their tanks so they, they can't make it into Kyiv. You know, it's just like Jesus Christ, man. Like it's like I don't know what to believe. And it's kind of it's funny, man, because it's like America's like on this island we're just kind of like chilling we don't really have any conflict there's and you got ukraine that's just like people are trying to flee their country so they don't get killed um i don't know it's interesting
1: as you talk about that it reminds me of something interesting i've been noticing um and that is unlike with other wars it seems to be the case that people aren't mad at the russians hmm you know, think about World War Two; it was the Germans, and the Germans yeah, yeah. were doing this horrible thing. Sure, but it seems to be the case that 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 people aren't directing their anger at the Russian people; it's specifically Putin. Uh, yep. And what that tells me that I think is excellent news on, on a number of fronts, but one of them is uh, good news for the aftermath, because when this is all over, there's not going to be some sense of of we have to exact retribution from the Russian people because it's not the Russian people. It's Putin. And I think we understand that, at least for the moment.
0: Right. That's a great point because there's a huge difference from like the Germans and the Holocaust. Even today, when someone says they're German, if I meet them, immediately my brain goes to the Holocaust and Hitler. And I wasn't even around for that stuff. But that's, I think, because like you're saying, the aftermath of that is every German was it was blank, you know. Pick up right, right. nasty name um, because they all somewhat had a hand in what happened. um But I think that's a great point because I'm seeing the same thing where actual Russians, like people, are actually praying for Russians. Like they're not like uh, like oh, these are terrible people. Like they don't, you know, because Ukrainians and Russians are so close as people right. anyway. So yes. it's like it's like they're fighting themselves. But I agree with you. I'm seeing everything basically pointed to. Kremlin into pointing to to Putin and and what he is doing. Um that's a great point. And and it's it sucks because like we talked about earlier, like the the economics of it, the hardships that's gonna happen is like Putin's worth 60 billion dollars. Like he's never gonna have to fight for anything, but his people are are really suffering. And it's kind of like when do we all kind of step in? And I I was gonna say this earlier, but it's this, what is unprecedented to me is the amount of like the world that's coming together that is all anti-Putin now. I mean, not right. that they weren't before, yeah. but now it's extremely clear where everyone stands with not Russia, to your point, but to Putin, if that right. makes sense. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think that's great. All, all of this, all of this indicates to me that humans have become much more, we've grown up. We become right. much more mature where dealing with these conflicts is concerned.
0: Right. No, I agree. And and honestly, like when I first, it was kind of the timing thing. Like China's like, hey, can you wait till the Olympics are done and then do your thing because we need <laughs> right. the viewers. Um, but it's funny because I was when I said earlier, like social media was worrying worrying me because that's all it takes. I think World War One was started because some person got shot on a bridge. Uh, it was like an accident, miscommunication. World War Two, we were like. We kind of, you know, inserted ourselves because we we needed to handle business. But like, I was worried like something was going to happen on social media that was going to trigger something that wasn't true or wasn't all the way true. But I I think your point of like us growing up, I've seen that across the board. It seems like everybody is on the same page when it comes to what the hell's happening with this invasion. That to your point, the aftermath is not going to be on Russia, it's gonna be on Putin. What do you think is gonna to happen to him? Do you think that he's gonna be pushed out? I mean, can he even be pushed out?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what, what happens next that goes beyond my my expertise. Right. But I think one thing that, one thing that interested me and, and what I'm about to say might be, I'm fully prepared that this was simply coincidence. Okay. However, I find it interesting to think about. And that is that, the whole concern about COVID in this country pretty much died out at the same time that the problems with Ukraine began. And again, that might simply be coincidence, but I'm wondering how much of that was possibly due to the media uh, changing its, its attention. That we were concerned about COVID, not to say we shouldn't be concerned about COVID, but I think we were more concerned than we needed to be precisely because the media was showing us, you know, problems of COVID 24-7, month after month, and now all of a sudden the media's found this new shiny thing that's horrible they can talk about, and is going to go talk about that, stop talking about COVID, and we say, yeah, you know what, we don't need these masks anymore, let's just go back to life as usual.
0: Anthony, you, that was, I wrote that down uh, about COVID-19, because I wanted to kind of touch touch on that. that I you're 100% right. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's that's exactly what happened. In my opinion is they have this new shiny toy with Russia and Ukraine, death, war, potential, you know, craziness versus this little covid thing that's kind of run its course in the media. And it was funny. I was just in San Diego for a conference and in california which typically i mean literally like weeks ago they just allowed you to wear you don't have to wear masks in a restaurant um so they're like they're like the furthest behind every basically state and um it's funny because i'm while i was there i was like as this ukrainian stuff was happening it was like a comp i felt a shift And us not giving a fuck, basically. (laughs) Like it was like, oh, COVID Schmovid. It was like, oh, it's kind of over. You know, they started to really loosen things up within days of this happening. And I think you're exactly right. It's majority because the news isn't bombarding us every day with deaths. And, uh, and honestly, I've seen nothing but positive things about COVID in the news recently of deaths going down, infection rates going down. There's not a new variant uh, conveniently. Right. There's It's because it's probably not going to sell like a video of a woman getting ran over by a tank would.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, and it, it, it's sad but honestly, it's like, all right, well, I'm kind of relieved because it's, I'm not even going to get my booster now because I am I felt almost like the media was like, get your booster. Get, and I'm like, I'm good now. I travel all the time. I haven't gotten it yet. Um, and, and I'm lucky enough to, you know, obviously not go would well, be healthy, but it's just like, you know, and, and obviously people aren't always that lucky, but you, you couldn't be more right. I think that's exactly what happened is this is a new shiny toy and it's is COVID's not sexy anymore
1: right so and and i hope i hope that one of the things that happens here is that is that people we viewers grow up a bit um we've when we're children and we see the tabloids in the in the grocery store (sighs) we we don't distinguish between the tabloid and the newspaper we think that this is all news and it requires a growing up in level of maturity to realize no they're just trying to sell these papers. None of that is right. is true. And I think I think we need the same level of maturity when it comes to dealing with social media, with the media, just to take a deep breath and say, okay, well, wait a minute. They're not lying, but it's not the whole truth. And I need to not get I don't need to wig out about this thing until right. I find out what the whole story is.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. It's funny you bring up tabloids because um as a kid, yeah, but like even as like a teenager, as you get older and you're going through the grocery line and you see all these ridiculous, like you know, Oprah's an alien and all this crazy stuff, it's like you immediately know that that's not true. Social media right. is so much harder to decipher um, because you have live comment commentary. You have things. I mean, I, most people don't even read the actual articles that they're commenting on; they just go off of the clickbait and the tagline. I wish facebook and social media platforms had that tabloid thing where it's like no this is actually we're just trying to sell this story or this read or whatever but that's so funny you bring that up because you're right because when you when you look at those in a grocery store you i I, they're funny to me now as an adult they're hilarious it's like it's funny because it's like this is not it's can't this is not true 100 percent there's no truth right. in this at all.
1: Right. But, but as a kid, I was, Oh my God. Look. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why no. is nobody talking about this thing? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Literally. It's so funny. The TV guys, all this. Yeah. It's like those tabloids are so funny. And as a kid, same thing. I'm like, Oh my God, alien invasion. This is crazy guys. Are you ready? Yeah. It's like, this yeah. is not true. I just wish social media had that, but I, I I agree with you. I think we're getting to a point of maturity where we can kind of decipher a uh, what's actually valid and real that is actually also what's more important to me is how is this going to affect me and my, my family and my, me and my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Something you and you and James always told me is like, the government is made to be inefficient. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of apply that to a lot of things now in my life, actually, because um, not to make myself inefficient, <laughs> but like, if, if it doesn't directly affect me, then I can't make a direct effect on it i kind of just put it by the wayside where i used to just think everything i read or i see oh my god this is gonna you know this new gun law is gonna take away my gun or this 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 or it's gonna take away that and that's not the case you know Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah yeah i I, I think that's wise by and large things are by and large things are innocuous you know yeah I, i think i i think what happens is society society, the government, they it responds to the people. And right. to the extent that you know, people think that something is reasonable, the government will move in that direction. Right. I agree and with you. And to the extent that people want something that's unreasonable, the government will move in that direction also. So right. in a lot of ways, we talked, you know, you were talking about how much can we blame on on Biden versus Obama versus Trump. In a lot of ways, the people who we really should be blaming are ourselves.
0: Right. Ooh.
1: So when, when a politician puts us in a position of having, you know, significant inflation because of deficits and deficits are because of providing free stuff like college education. Well, why are they providing free college education? Because we asked for it.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Look look in the mirror, people. This is your fault. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> um so I'm gonna circle back to the the question I was gonna ask earlier. Um I've always thought so it's not everyone, but most people know China has always wanted to bring, you know, Taiwan. They want Taiwan. Um, they've been very vocal about that. Just recently, actually yesterday, I read a report that China and Taiwan are talking in peace and everything is happy, go lucky. Um Two things, two part question. One, a well one, are you worried about China into Taiwan and possibly I ran into Israel and North Korea into South Korea because of what Russia is doing, but, but really um do you think that china is kind of sitting back and watching russia being like okay these are the mistakes you made this is what you did right before they go on and do it because to your point there's some of these countries that that are not in nato that that they can invade um, without any repercussions from other allied countries if that makes sense
1: yeah and i think i would have i would have been i would have felt a lot differently if if putin had been successful if he'd hmm. been able to overrun Ukraine in a couple of days and, you know, before anybody could respond, it's, right. a, it's a done deal. I would have been much more concerned about Taiwan in that instance. Okay. Um, much less so now. Um, what are the Chinese seeing? They're seeing um, Putin attempted this, uh, this uh, takeover. He was unsuccessful. And more than that, the entire world united against him. Uh, in In this unique way of of imposing economic and financial uh, sanctions, and so i I think the Chinese will I think the Chinese are less likely to to attempt something with Taiwan given what's happened with Ukraine. That's right. my armchair theory
0: no that that's a great point actually um, because that makes sense because China is very uh, they're always concerned and worried about what I think the world thinks about them for sure, because they want to be looked at as this huge superpower and all this stuff. It's like that, like right now, Putin looks like a complete idiot, to be honest with you, because he went tried to invade a country that he thought he was going to steamroll. It's been completely unsuccessful. Yes, they're making, you know, more, uh, you know, they're pushing further in for sure, but it's not as easy as he thought it would be. And that's a great point, actually, to think of kind of like, rest assured that like, you know, China's looking at this saying like, okay, maybe this isn't a good idea because of the potential unsuccessful uh, possibility of, of that happening to Taiwan. But it's it's interesting uh, perspective. I like that. That's good. Um, let's see here. So those are actually all the questions I have. Um, but do you have anything that you would like to talk about um, that I could drop some knowledge on? I'm just joking. I have literally nothing good to say um but yeah is there anything else that you would like to kind of cover or anything like that
1: i don't i don't think so um yeah i don't think i have anything else interesting to say this is- <laughs> <laughs> i mean to the extent that what i did say was interesting i don't know
0: oh no it was interesting and a lot of these clips are going to do very well on tiktok i promise you that um well then I'll leave it at that. But Anthony, once again, thank you so much for coming on and kind of that's why I like talking to to people like you as well, because you look at things so differently, Um, not just like in an emotional way, because a lot of people nowadays are so emotional with their decision making and their thinking. You kind of bring me and my listeners and watchers down to like a perspective that's like more logical, I think. So I really appreciate that.
1: My pleasure, Corey. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Where can people find you, Anthony? And you can plug your books and your podcast and all that stuff.
1: You can find our podcast, Words and Numbers, on all the podcast players. And if you want to read more about uh, our thoughts, mine and James Harrigan's, on stuff like this, uh, you can read our book, Cooperation and Coercion, which is available on Amazon and Audible. It is,
0: yes. And I will put all the links in the description below. But, Anthony, once again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. Thanks, Corey.
0: That's another episode for the E4 Explicit Podcast. We'll see you next time. Peace out.